the 12 Days of Journos, yet another instance of Journos holiday-themed content from Stephen Jackson and Brandon R. Reynolds. Hello? Stephen? Oh my god. Great to hear your voice. Yes, likewise. It's the it's the last time you're going to hear my voice uh, in the year 2021. Yeah, it's the end of the year. Some call it December 31st, and I choose to call it the 31st of December. Oh. But you know what it also is? What? It's the seventh day of journos. Seventh day of journos. And on the seventh day of journos, I bring unto you a plague of fish falling from the sky in Texarkana, Texas, on Wednesday, just a few days ago, December 29th. A bunch of fish fell out of the sky. Jeez. Yeah. You've heard these stories. They come up every yeah. now and again. Blank it, animal it, falls out of the sky. Is it wind events? It's a meteorological event. That's exactly Technically, is, is the precipitation in this case fish? Yes. It's actual fish that fall out of the sky. And as you may know, for centuries, thousands of years, people have recorded events like fish falling out of the sky, frogs, frogs. very famously in the movie Magnolia and other things like well, it's not the Bible. <laughs> the the Bible. Bible, I think. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And birds and things. Anyway, so hey, all you remember stuff... when the Bible ripped off Magnolia? Yeah, P.T. Anderson was so angry. Um, so we've got a long tradition of stuff falling out of the sky. No big deal there. It's often been equated with supernatural events like curses from the gods or, I don't know, an angry witch or something. Um, but always something that maybe has some sort of moral resonance. We've done something wrong and now we're being punished with frogs. God is very angry. Turns out it's just a water spout. Water spout lowers down over a body of water, lake, river, ocean, sucks up a bunch of critters, moves them inland, and dumps them. But we love the story. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's weird. It's an unsettling event, seeing fish or frogs or whatever animals that are typically not uh, falling from the sky doing just that. That's right. Yeah. And I think also the subtext is, here's another way that we interpret our relationship with nature. If nature does the thing we expect... It's fine. It's not newsworthy. But when it does something weird, then we freak out. And, you know, and those reactions have obviously evolved over the centuries. Um, yeah, it, ta it really takes you out of the comfort, your comfort zone. Yeah. When fish are slapping when, the when head. The, you're turning mm -hmm. up the windshield wipers, you know, that much to the fish setting. Exactly right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think to round out the year, one of the themes that we've covered quite a bit here on Journos has been the human interface with nature. And we did an episode a couple of weeks back in which we talked about three events, one that happened in space, one that happened in the ocean, and one that happened in the desert. So we're going to do a little update on those today because there have been some more recent developments, starting with the desert, Stephen, hmm. that place where all the sand lives. Is that the scientific definition? That is a scientific definition. You got to keep it simple. Yeah. So in our previous episode, we talked about a story that I had actually done for KCRW, uh, in which there is a lot of interest in solar energy development in the Mojave Desert, which is great because there's a lot of sun and people are really in favor of it because, hey, free energy for the most part. But there is a consequence, which is that development like that destroys a lot of the desert and including the habitat for desert tortoises. So... There's that tension, right? It's uncomfortable. We want to have energy that's not based on fossil fuels, but yep. blah, 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 right? The solar so, panels got to go somewhere. They got to Some, go somewhere. Something was there first. 
That's right. So that stuff has got to go. Um, so recently, the Biden administration approved development for two and possibly three major solar projects on federal land just outside of Riverside County. Um, they're supposed to be, when they're completed, enough electricity generated to power something like 132,000 homes. So a lot of power, right? The narrative that has evolved around this is that this was an executive order by Biden because the Build Back Better plan, which had something like $555 billion in subsidies for clean energy, was supposed to be a big boon for you know, fighting climate change. That was all nixed by Joe Manchin. Right. Yeah, that, yeah, that guy. Yeah. So uh, so this was an executive order that Biden could pull without having to go through a lot of rigmarole and make this thing happen. Shows that he's a champion in the environment and, you know, look at us, we're forging ahead. Of course, there's a couple of contradictions there. One is, as you know, that's that much more land that is potentially going to be uh, developed and, you know, more endangered tortoises, more potential devastation. Is it great? The media doesn't really cover that. Maybe there's a mention of like, oh, desert tortoises could be in trouble and environmentalists don't like this. But Well, it's not like they can, you know, let's say they need to run from the developer. It's not like they can do so that quickly. Tortoises don't run and they don't vote. They famously amble. They do, yeah. But we don't (laughs) see that side of things. The narrative is always... You know, this is a political story. It's about Biden v. the forces that are aligned against him, which is embodied by Joe Manchin. But then, of course, Manchin's just representing the will of his voters who happen to be very coal-oriented. So we sort of got their motivation, and, and we like to build this story that it's, you know, the president versus these powers that be. Yeah. And this is his only move. And, you know, we take all that into and, advice. And, let's, and just to be balanced, let's not forget that, like— Joe Manchin is the embodiment of all of this, but there's a lot of corporate Democrats who are happy to see him take the fall and just, you know, sort of chalk it up to politics. Yeah. Yeah. And they still get to take the win on, hey, look, we're going to put all these solar panels in the desert. Ain't that great? There's all this land that the Bureau of Land Management has set aside potentially for solar development. If all of that is developed, I mean, it's 90,000 acres uh, just as a start in Colorado, Nevada, and New Mexico. And then beyond that, there's even more square mileage, something that could, you know, and if all of that is developed, it can power something like 29 million homes. So the advantage is here, the appeal is here, um, but there's not a lot of voices speaking out for the tortoise. No. Who will speak for the tortoise? Brandon Reynolds will. I'm trying. I'm trying. So, yeah, I mean, the idea of mucking up some existing wilderness in the name of progress is not a new one, right? Every time there is some form of technological development, uh, you know, something it has to give, right? Because that's just the nature of things. As we push those boundaries, we're going to be running up against new problems all the time. That's right. Yeah. That happens not only on Earth, Stephen, but also in space. Oh, the final frontier. The final, well, semi-final, the semi-final, the 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 quarterfinal frontier. Like yeah. a black hole? A deeper space. That's deeper for another space time. space is still space. Let me tell you about China. <laughs> In an update to our segment about space junk, where there was a satellite that was exploded by the Russians. It created all this debris. The International Space Station had to duck and dodge. Larger conversation is, what happens if we fill space up with debris, wrenches, uh, frozen urine? It's kind of a problem. 
and we can't go to space anymore becomes a liability. Well, another example of that, China issued a complaint to the United Nations when their space station up there had to dodge not once, but twice this year, one of Elon Musk's Starlink satellites. They got very frosty with the billionaire, Stephen. And it's yet another example of, are we having too much stuff up there? If you asked Elon, he, of course, would say no. Uh, defending himself, he was quoted as saying, space is just extremely enormous and satellites are very tiny. This is not some situation where we're effectively blocking others in any way. We've not blocked anyone from doing anything, nor do we expect to. So essentially, he's saying that space is so vast that these that this notion that they are taking up too much room and somehow edging out other satellites or other you know space stations is is simply false right and he makes this point how orbits of satellites if you're stacking them you know concentrically outward from the globe that that's an increasingly larger amount of space right and then uh, uh laura forsyke a space analyst at a space consulting group named astrolytical uh, basically um, said that, yeah, it wasn't a great comment on his part, but he's not, like, objectively wrong. Uh, she was quoted as saying, uh, he's essentially correct that it's a traffic management problem. Uh, and this is all from an interview in the Financial Times. Hmm. Yeah, what we're talking about is building clogged Los Angeles freeways in space. Let's just build more lanes, man. Hey. Build more lanes. What's, what could go wrong? Yeah. That's what podcasts are invented for. You got to have something to listen to while you're trying to navigate low Earth orbit. Yeah, our podcast is just uh, another one in a ever expanding array of orbits around the news space. The the newsosphere. Yeah. The newsosphere. So yeah. So there once again, it's this tension, this conflict that occurs as we, you know, push the boundaries of of our own. Um, of what we call the space that we inhabit. Uh, it says, as we contact new wildernesses, as we contact new frontiers, again, there's always going to be this question of, it, it, are we doing so in a sustainable way, right? And the third piece from this episode that we're recapping now had to do with these polymetallic nodules, which are sitting on the uh, deep sea floor and turns out they are actually very rich in metals that can be used to power an untold number of electronic batteries for electronic vehicles and of course um this at the time the media was covering it in such a way that they were lauding this effort more or less as sort of the next step towards a greener future as we reported, environmentalists don't really see it as uh, this straight up like great thing that's happening. Um, so it we does report, a lot of damage. It does, it does it, a lot yeah, of damage. It can now. do a lot of damage. Um, basically, because you, it could amount to strip mining the ocean floor. There's lots of carbon stored in, down there. There's a vast amount of other natural resources and other ecosystems that we have no, we don't know anything about. And if they screw it up, there won't be any fish down there to suck up and drop in Texarkana. Exactly. Right, yeah. Yeah, right. right. Mm -hmm. Call back. Ring, ring. Um, <laughs> the, uh, so anyways, we came out with this story right at the beginning of this month. And then in the upcoming issue of The New Yorker, uh, they decided to pick up on it, too, about a month after we did. Did they credit our reporting? 
you know, I'll have to check again, but uh, I don't believe they did. But good on them yeah. for picking up on this zeitgeisty story that we identified about a month ago. Um, but they did, there are some developments there. Um, so where we left it, big question mark about what's going to happen with all this mining, you know, what are the next steps? So the New Yorker article builds on the conversation we started about a month ago uh, and points out that the metals company, a well-known uh, Canadian firm, is going to now partner with a tiny island nation, Nauru, which is near Papua New Guinea, uh, in order it, in order to give them access to the approval process that needs to occur by this b governing body of the deep sea floor. Great. Okay, so that's very strange because this tiny country about 10,000 people now has this outsized influence in the future of what is essentially one of the la the last untouched wilderness of the planet earth and the largest one at that um nauru historically hasn't been known for great business dealings uh they allowed strip mining of phosphate rock in their island uh up through the 90s until that basically resulted in an ecological disaster and um, they are now invoking what's called a two-year rule to this governing body uh, that that basically says now that we have invoked this rule uh, the governing body which by the way is called the international seabed authority they uh, must now act on that request and either approve or deny uh, their right to go down and start mining. Now, the ISA has actually uh, received some criticism because they say it's uh, kind of potentially biased towards mining because they operate um, via uh, getting a cut of what is discovered um, down on in these nether regions of the world. And so if they do it, it, it approve the metals company and Nauru's request to go down and start digging this stuff up, it could be a total free-for-all. Um, and the the consequences could very well be dire. Great. So, All... happy, so happy New Year is what I'm trying to say. That, yeah. Well, I think looking forward, you have these themes that kind of keep recurring, which are once upon a time, we were just taking stuff from the earth. And we've since learned better, at least publicly, at least formally, we're trying to do better. We're trying to do solar. We're trying to find nodules that are magic and make cars hover or whatever it is they yeah, do. Yeah, they, they do have like big magic bean energy. Yeah, very big magic bean. I plant this and you will grow a vine that takes you to a big man in the sky <laughs> um, where all the fish are kept. Uh, <laughs> That's two. Yeah, so looking toward the future, which begins in a mere few hours, um, I think we're going to see more weird interactions with nature, more of the kind of further out spaces, more of these wildernesses explored, commodified. You're going to have these adventurous types with drills and a lot of money behind them going to these places and doing things that ostensibly benefit all of humanity and may well do. But also they're going to make some people potentially very, very rich. The consequences of those uh, are things that, as we've seen in the media, have not really been dug into as much. I mean, the mainstream coverage tends to be, here's this green thing, isn't it cool? Or here's this green thing, it's part of this political conversation in this way. And not really considering these consequences. Who's speaking for the trees, Stephen? 
Who's speaking for the nodules? Yeah, who's speaking for the tortoises? Who's speaking for the tortoises? My man, Brandon Reynolds. Possibly, yes. Possibly, yes. Um, so that's the year in review. I think hey. that that's a good place to wind up day seven of journos. All of this points out another simple truth is that the future exists always at the intersection of mankind and nature. That's 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 always where we it's where we run up against our own interests, whether they be, you know, for the good of the species or the good of, you know, people's pocketbooks or uh, the good of a rich man's bank account. Right. Like that's the future always occurs right there. You know, you think about even back when humans started, you know, taking to the sea, building ships. Right. Wilderness uh, was encountered in that case. Right. It happens every single time we continue to push these boundaries. And I think most notably it's happening. It happened in the 20th century with space. And in every single time we that intersection occurs, there's some form of tension. There's some form of violence. And then there's also some form of moving forward. It's kind of like that a dialectic in that way. Right. And so we're constantly pushing towards this thing. And it's constantly pushing back on us. Right. And I think for us, the narrative has to evolve and i think we're trying to do that as a industry and then maybe just us sitting here chit-chatting um storytelling continues to be important i'm sure we'll see more of it make more of it in the next year but for now steven i'm gonna let you go enjoy your evening the last evening of this year the last evening of this year the last evening before the future the last evening before the future i love it i love it i'll see you in 2022 man see you next year 